you take your Bibles, turn to Revelation 14. Revelation chapter 14, last Wednesday I gave you an extensive review of where we've been in this study of the end times. I don't have any new slides to show you this evening, so I didn't uh, get those sent out this, t- for tonight. But um, I've been looking at the church age, into the rapture, the judgment seat of, uh, of Christ. And then uh, we've been in the tribulation for a lengthy time now. And uh, just been going from Revelation 4, 5, and getting into chapter 6, into the tribulation, uh, and, and just been going chapter by chapter. And so we spent a long time getting caught up last week and introduced to us chapter number 14. If you recall, there are three sections in chapter number 14. Uh, verse number 1 says, and I looked. Verse number 6 says, and I saw. And verse number 14, he again says, and I looked. And those are our three sections of Scripture, verses 1 through 5, verses 6 down through verse number 13, and then 14 through 20. And so let's consider, we looked at last week the first section, I'll just cover that briefly again, Uh, verses 1 through 5, let's read that quickly. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on on the Mount Zion, and with him 140 and 4 thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads and i heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and i heard a the voice uh, of harpers harping with their harps and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders and no man could learn that song but the four but the 140 and 4000 which were redeemed from the earth these are they which were not defiled with women um, for, they, uh, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And we mentioned here that we believe this scene, this setting is back in heaven. And, um, uh, and how as you go through the book of Revelation, and we learn of all the the difficulties and the the judgment and the wrath of God being poured upon earth, and we read about these difficulties and all the things that have happened uh, up to this time. About fifty percent of the earth's population has been has been killed uh, through the various judgments and and plagues and the things that have been going on. And so it's just this horrific scene, chapter after chapter. But every once in a while, the Lord will bring us back to Himself and back to His glory. And give us a scene and give us a shot of heaven here. And, uh, and, and that's what we have here. We have a little bit of a reprieve as we see what is going on before the throne of God and, uh, and there in heaven. And it's a great reminder that as bad as it gets in our lives, let's remember this is temporary. There is an eternal uh, home for us. There is an eternity. Uh, this last week uh, uh, was the one-year anniversary of my mom's passing. And uh, my brother uh, sent me a little thing there that said, some call it heaven, others call it home now. And that was a great reminder for me that my mom is at home now. She's where she belongs. I was talking to my dad. I said, I would never wish her back to this earth. As much as I miss her, I don't want her to come back here and have to experience these things after being home. And it's a great reminder for us that heaven is our eternal home. And here we have here, the, the focus is on these 144,000 witnesses. The last time we saw them was back in chapter number 7. And uh, 
uh, and here they are now. Uh, they're in heaven. They're the first fruits, as it says down in verse number four, at the end of verse number four, they're the first fruits and perhaps the first fruits of the tribulation saints. I'm not certain for sure what that means. There were several ideas. But um, we notice some things about them. We notice their worship in verse two and three. Uh, they talk about the, their, their, their voices of many waters, the voice of a great thunder, there's harpers harping with their harp. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. There is this worship that is going on in heaven. We saw it back in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. We saw it back in Isaiah chapter number 6. We've seen it in the past, and I can guarantee it's going on today, and it will be going on tomorrow and into eternity. The worship. Uh, uh, when we get to heaven, we will not grow weary of worshiping the Lamb. And He will never not be worthy of our worship. Uh, it is going to be something that will be a continual activity for us when we get to heaven. And we see these 144,000 leading in this worship here. Uh, we recognize they're, they're a separated, sanctified, pure group uh, of individuals. Uh, we notice their faithfulness of these 144,000. Uh, their conversation is pure, and they are noted as a righteous in, a group there. Uh, and, and verse number five, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so we looked at that in a little more detail last Wednesday. But let's continue on into this second section this evening where he says, I saw... Another angel in verse number six, fly in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. We'll continue reading in this section in just a moment here, but uh, let's, let's point out, first of all, some things that uh, we see in verse 6 and 7. Really, it's a, some wording that should be pretty familiar to us if you've been here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, here, a couple weeks ago, we were at our missions conference, and on that Thursday evening, Brother Fielder preached to us about the mission of God, what God's mission has always been. I won't say it exactly like he said, but it certainly has resonated with many of us here at Heritage, and I'm certain many of you probably will agree with me that it resonated in your heart that God's mission has always been to get his glory revealed throughout the, throughout the earth and to extend his grace throughout the earth. And he mentioned to every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation was the, was the verbiage that Brother Fielder used. And we see that here in verse number 6. There's this angel flying in the midst of the heavens, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. So here we are in this tribulation period, and God sends an angel to deliver this message. Now, as far as I know, this is the first time and the last time you'll ever see an angel preaching the gospel. In the scriptures, we always see people preaching the gospel. But here we are in the tribulation period, and the church is gone, 
The church has already been raptured out. The 144,000 are gone. And yet God still wants to send a witness, and so he sends an angel. It mentions in the heavens here. Uh, this is referring to the sky, the atmosphere, the clouds. And so if you can picture with me an angel flying around the globe to every nation, to every tongue, to every kindred, to every people, preaching the everlasting gospel. He tells them to fear God. He says to give glory. He says to worship him is the message. And that's the same message we would preach today, isn't it? That's what we want to tell people. That's what we want to deliver. And here's the reality. According to Philippians chapter number 2, verses 9 through 11, get this church, every knee is going to bow before the Lord Jesus one day. Every knee will. There won't be one knee that has ever lived or a person has ever lived that will not bow their knee before the Lord. You'll either accept him now as your Savior or you will bow to him before you're cast into the lake of fire one day recognizing him for who he is. And so here's this angel uh, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, leaving these people without excuse. That's a rough passage of scripture there in Romans chapter number one, isn't it? Romans chapter one teaches us that, that, that God has made a way that no one is without excuse. God has revealed himself in multiple ways to people. He's revealed himself through nature, uh, creation cries out that there's a creator, that there's a God. The conscience of man cries out that there's a God. And no man will be without excuse. And even in this day, in the book of Revelation, in the tribulation period, God will send a witness to these people. And so they're proclaiming <clears throat> this everlasting gospel. As we continue reading in verse number 8, a second angel shows up here. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Here in this second section of scripture, there's a second angel. And this angel has the message of fallen Babylon. This is the first time the, the name Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation, but it will not be the last time. Babylon is a key character, a key figure in the book of Revelation. In fact, it'll be very prevalent in chapters 17 and 18. But this thought of Babylon, <coughs> excuse me, is more than a, just a city. It is the religious and the political and the economic system of the Antichrist or of the beast. It's going to be the whole uh, network of it. Now, there's all kinds of ideas. Where is Babylon going to be at? Where is it going to be headquartered at? Um, and, and various geographical places all around the world. We could get into a lot of uh, theories and thoughts on that. But the reality is what we want to recognize this evening is the, that, that the, the Antichrist, the beast, is going to set up this, this system, and it's known as Babylon, and it will fail one day. It will fall apart It'll be a false hope for people, and this angel proclaims this. And we'll see this in chapters 17 and 18 when this system of his religious, political, and economic uh, plans fall apart. And then that leads us to verses 9 through 13. 
specifically 9 through 11, a third angel appears. And this angel has the message of God's wrath on those that choose to follow the beast or follow the Antichrist. Notice the terminology and the, the, um, uh, the language that is used here. The third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast, now that's in contrast to the angel that's just flown around the earth saying, worship the Lord, uh, give him glory, fear him. He says, the, those that worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine or the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. That means that wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, it's not diluted at all. It's full force. It's the full strength of God's wrath uh, into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. It is amazing to me that there. Through this time, we're over halfway through the tribulation period, and um, a man has seen the wrath of God. They've seen, seen what this could be, and yet people will still reject him and refuse him, and they'll choose to follow after this beast, <coughs> after the Antichrist. And so he's telling them what's going to happen if he does do this. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 12 then. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You have this contrast. Verses 9 through 11 are those that choose to follow after the beast, after the Antichrist, <coughs> verses 12 and 13 are those that choose to follow after Christ. It's the patience or the testimony of the saints. I read um, in many of my studies through the book of Revelation, I've used a commentary series uh, called Exploring the Bible by John Phillips. He has a commentary on the book of Revelation. And I liked especially what he said of verses 12 and 13 in the context of what we just read in verses 9 and 11. Let me read, quote him for you for just a moment. He says, except for the 144,000, those who defy the beast can anticipate death in a thousand fiendish ways. But it is death instantly transformed by God into blessing. So if you're going to choose to not follow the beast, not get the number in your forehead, not get it imprinted on your hand, not worship him, you can expect death. But he says God will transform it into blessing. He says, he says I'll make you suffer, screams the beast. And then you'll make us saints, reply the overcomers. I'll persecute you to the grave, roars the beast. You'll promote us to glory, replies the overcomers. The beast's rage against the noble, these noble martyrs will all be in vain. 
he will utterly fail at last. Verse 12 and 13 is the testimony of those that will overcome the beast by not submitting to him, not worshiping him, not taking the system of the, of the, of the number the, upon their foreheads, and they're going to find death. It's going to bring them death. But again, that death is ultimately leading them to their victory through Jesus Christ and their deliverance to heaven. And so this is the three angels with these three different messages. The message of the everlasting gospel, the second angel, the message of the fall of fallen Babylon, and then the third angel, the message of God's wrath on those that follow the beast. And let me try to get through this last thought here. <coughs> Verses 14 through 20. This is the, thir- the third I looked in verse number 14. And let me just read um, the first, first 14. It says, And behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. That words, that phrase, that, that title, Son of Man, it's been used throughout the Scriptures. It's a very common term or name for the Lord Jesus. And this is the last time that it appears in that way. The Son of Man. And what he is, he's, he's pictured as here is a, uh, with a sickle in his hand. Uh, it's, a, it's a tool, it's a farming tool. It's a tool that is used for harvest. And what we see in verses 14 through 20 is a picture or a description of a harvest time. Now, the imagery of this last section of chapter 14, um, it, it is the Lord coming to claim his harvest. Harvest is a time of separating. And the full picture of what's going on here correlates with a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to turn back there with me this evening. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. We're going to pick up this evening in verse number 24. How many of you ever heard the parable of the wheat and the tares? Familiar with that phrase, that term, that parable? This correlates very much so with what's going on there in the last part of Revelation chapter 14. Verse 24, And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, let us wa- uh, let a- lest while we gather up the tares, ye root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, drop down with me to verse number 37. There's a some explanation on these verses now. 
He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is who? The Son of Man. Saw that in Revelation 14. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend uh, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun into the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is the sower. But in Revelation chapter 14, Jesus is the reaper. He's got a sickle in hand, and he's going to go through there, and he's going to do some harvesting. And he's going to separate the tares from the wheat. Those that are truly his and those that are not his. The fallout from this harvest is hard to imagine. Back to Revelation real quick. <coughs> Revelation chapter 14. And notice verse number 20. It'll be the last verse we look at. The wine press, which was a, an instrument of the harvest, was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the wine press even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. This is describing this judgment, this battle that will take place at Armageddon. And it's going to be such a bloody battle that the, it's going to be 1,600 furlongs long. That's about 200 miles. And it's going to describe that the the, the wine or the blood is going to be up to about the horse's bridle. I don't know how high that is for sure. I guess it depends on a horse, but that's two or three, four feet probably, right? It's just it's talking about, a, again, a very descriptive way to describe a very horrific battle that's going to take place. As we get into chapters 17, 18, and 19, again, this will describe for us this Battle of Armageddon, especially in chapter number 19, and the Lord coming back, and, uh, uh, and that, will be that, that will be that harvest time when the Lord uh, destroys his enemies and brings back uh, those that are belong to him and bring them uh, to himself. So we're getting there to, towards that time. Uh, things will start culminating quickly here in chapter 15. We'll start getting into the bowl uh, or the vile judgments, and uh, that will be coming there in chapter 15, 16, and 17, and then again, we're learning more and more on Babylon. Now let me once again emphasize, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this evening, we can read about this, we can learn about it from here, but you do not have to experience it. We're not going to be there. Uh, these are things that we, we look for, out in the future in a prophetic way, but praise the Lord, we're not going to be a part of it if you know Christ as your Savior now. If you don't know Christ as your Savior now, and you hear this truth, that God loves you, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, 
Jesus came and lived a perfect and a sinless life. He was the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins. And uh, he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. You've heard the simple gospel message. This is your opportunity to respond to that. This is your opportunity to, re- to put your faith in what Jesus has done. And uh, uh, to think that one day you'll do that. Second Thessalonians teaches us that, 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 that Satan will, send us, uh, will, will, will present a lie and that man will believe that. And uh, there will, uh, I don't believe that people that have had an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel now will be able to respond to the gospel during the tribulation period. Those people will, have, will believe the lie of Satan. And so today is your day of salvation. God's giving you an opportunity now. And I know I've had some folks tell me, boy, these things, they, they make me anxious, they make me nervous. And I, I don't like all that is going on there either, but I do know this. I don't have to experience it. If the Lord's working in your heart and drawing you to himself, I'd encourage you, uh, make tonight tonight of your, the day of your salvation. Receive Christ as your Savior so you don't have to be a part of these, these awful, horrific events that will take place one day. So we'll pick up there next week. Pray for me that my voice will get better before Sunday. And let's stand. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayers. Pray for Brother Tom Smith as he makes his journey to Ecuador tomorrow, Tom. Is that correct? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time in your word. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to be educated by it, but Lord, more so be motivated by it to tell others about you. Thank you that Tom is headed to Ecuador tomorrow. I pray, God, that you give him traveling mercies. And uh, Lord, may he be able to share the gospel with those folks down there. And may many souls be saved through the efforts of medical missions outreach. Uh, Lord, I pray for us here locally. Help us to be faithful to witness to those that you bring across our paths. Help us to make inroads with neighbors and coworkers and friends. Help us to be faithful to invite them to church and the activities of our, of our ministries here, Lord. And uh, so, Lord, they could hear the gospel. And, uh, Lord, help us to spread your glory. And, uh, Lord, expand your grace, uh, extend your grace across this world, Lord, for your glory. Lord, we'll thank you for it. Now, Lord, give us safety as we go home tonight and bring us back at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen.